0: Happy Mother's Day. Um, maybe a little bit different this year in how it's being celebrated, but um, I want to wish all the mothers uh, viewing with us a happy Mother's Day. You guys have uh, a really, really challenging job, and uh, today we we lift up moms and we celebrate moms. Um, the subject matter in First John chapter three, verses four through seven. All of you mothers are very familiar with uh, because you have children and that subject matter is sin. When your child was born, you probably thought that they were sinless. You, you held them close to you and you just thought uh, this, this being is just perfect, like nothing's wrong. And then it just didn't take all that long for you to figure out uh, that they weren't so perfect, right? Um, you, you couldn't sleep. Uh, They just didn't cooperate. You you couldn't feed them uh, at the times that uh, you thought that they were going to eat. And all these different things just didn't work out. And all mothers, I believe, know that there is no such thing as sinlessness. All mothers know about sin. Sin even within themselves because your children kind of expose all of that in you, don't they? They, they pull those things out, those those thoughts that you, th- you you thought you would never have or things that you would never say or never do, uh, feelings that you thought you would never have. But you, you, you never thought you could be so sinful until you had children. So happy Mother's Day to all of you. And you see this sin in your children too. It's not just in yourself. You see it in them as well. There's always need for correction and uh, guidance and redirection. And so it's probably not the topic you would have expected to hear about on Mother's Day. But if you've been keeping up with our First John series, you knew that this was coming up next. And I add a little bit of levity at the beginning in this introduction to this very serious topic because it is Mother's Day and I don't want to put a damper on this day that we celebrate you. I hope that in our shelter-in-place state that there are still opportunities in your homes to celebrate moms. You're wonderful. You're, you're my heroes. And there would be no next generation without you. In our passage today, John will address this really serious topic of sin. It's a very important topic to discuss because there are many people who view sin inconsequentially. And unfortunately, Christians are included in this. And perhaps some of these Christians think because of the doctrine of justification that all of our sins, whether that is past, present, future sins, they've, they've already been dealt with. And I, I wish that all Christians were informed of the doctrine of justification to even think about their theology. But I think that a lot of Christians look at sin with this indifference because It just doesn't matter to them. I don't think it's because of their theology as much as it is their tolerance and their comfort level for sin. Now, back to this justification by faith. Have our sins been dealt with? Yes, they have. But there is something very important to keep in mind. And we we need to look at Romans 6 when talking about justification by faith. So let's look at Romans chapter 6 starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? It's really helpful to read Romans 6 along with 1 John chapter 3. If you read those at the same time as you're doing some sort of devotion. And let's just read the verses for today in 1 John chapter 3. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. It is inconsistent to believe Jesus came to take away sins and then make a practice of sinning, which is of the devil. The part about the devil is found in verse 8, and we'll take a look at that next week. Uh, Believers of Jesus are incompatible with the practice of sin. It's an impossibility. Now John isn't about writing about these kind of one-off accidental acts of sin. John is writing about these deliberate, on-purpose, constant, regular practice of sin that is a pattern of sinful behavior in someone's life. Look at these phrases here. Makes a practice of sinning, which is found in verses 4, 8, and 9. Keeps on sinning, mentioned twice in verse 6. And so let's take a look at verse 4's biblical fact. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So everyone who practices sinning. There are no exceptions to that. Everyone. Everyone. And so this is the biblical fact. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning is a lawbreaker. What is sin? The Bible describes sin as missing the mark, as transgressing God's purposes. And here in verse 4, it's described as lawlessness or lawbreaking. So people by nature are lawless. We are lawbreakers and we are, are born as such. Right, moms? aren't we? No one needed to teach your kid to break your laws. They, they just do it naturally. It's natural for them. You tell them not to eat where your light-colored carpet or your, your light-colored furniture is, and, and what do they do? You tell them not to bring their electronic device outside where it can fall on the concrete or on the street or it will break, and what do they do? No, I'm not bitter. I'm I have no idea what I'm talking about here. See, no one needs to teach us these things. We just do them naturally. These things that kids do is not so serious, but there is a very serious part to sin that we do all the time in terms of breaking law. The act of sinning against God is Serious enough, but there's also the heart behind the actions that speak volumes about what we really think about God, how we value God. And the Bible tells us that we are lawless, we oppose God's laws, and we oppose God. Take a look at Psalm chapter 14. Verses 1 through 3, it reads this The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. We are lawless. We have a spirit of lawlessness inside of us. We also know that there is a spirit of Antichrist that we talked about in 1 John chapter 2. And the Apostle Paul writes about this man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's take a look at that. Starting in verse 3, we'll read verses 3 and 4. Let no one deceive you in any way for that day, and it's talking about the day of the Lord when Jesus returns, will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. And then here's the description of the man of lawlessness here. The son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God. Proclaiming himself to be God. This will be the embodiment of this in the Antichrist. But the essence of the Antichrist spirit is inside of every person. It is inside each one of us. We exalt ourselves upon our own thrones, and we seek to take God's seat, and we proclaim ourselves to be God. Now, we don't go around telling people, like, I'm God, right? But we sure act like it, and we sure think it. That all this, me, is mine, and I, I, get, to d- I get to do what I want to do. I get to think what I want to think. And this spirit of lawlessness is one of the signs of who we are as persons. John's argument is that it is completely absurd to hope for Jesus Christ's return while continuing in sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You see, sin is a very strong indication of one's opposition against Jesus Christ. The very one that we are hoping for. So if anyone makes practice of intentional, persistent, Sin, who keeps on sinning against God while hoping for the return of Christ. That is completely inharmonious. There's so much dissonance in that. It just cannot be. And then here's the next biblical fact found in verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. So the first biblical fact in these verses is we are lawless, verse 4. The second one is in verse 5, that Jesus came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law and left us with the Holy Spirit to live lives of righteousness. To live holy lives. John points out that we have some righteous expectations to live up to. That if we say we hope for Jesus Christ's return, people will know that hope to be genuine and true, not simply by what we say, but by the righteous and the holy nature of the life we live. That our life proves we are ready for the return of Jesus Christ. We can't hope for a sinless Savior and live a life of constant sin. That's just contradiction. So back to this biblical In fact, the second one, Jesus appeared in order to take away our sins. That's the continuation of that verse. And this is Jesus' mission of why he came to earth. Now some may say Jesus' mission was something else. You might attach other things to it, but if you don't include the taking away of sins, then you really don't know what Jesus' mission really was. It includes this. It has to be this. The reason He came to us was to take away our sin. So if anyone says that they are not a sinner, then they make Jesus to be a liar and one who does not live according to His own name. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. They make John the Baptist... The prophet to be a liar. Because in John chapter 1, verse 29, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The message of the gospel is anchored to the cross. Jesus' life is directing us to the cross. Whenever we talk about Jesus, we need to point to the cross where, where his death atoned for our sins. The cross is the remedy, it is the antidote to our, our deepest needs, our, our deepest poisons in our life, the things that are keeping us down, the things that are killing us. Now look at what the apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse seventeen. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Do we hear what Paul is telling us? That there is no gospel without the cross. And we can do all we want, we can talk all we want, but without the cross... There is no power in our actions or in our words to save someone from their sins. It is in the cross where power lies to rescue people from the bondage of sin. The answer to people's problems is in the cross. And we need to lead people to the cross when we talk about Jesus. If people are to know anything about Jesus, they need to know about the cross. That they themselves cannot earn salvation. Only Jesus can make that available to us. And this is the good news of the gospel. I think that too many preachers' messages are about other things. Where the preacher, the teacher can sound really, really eloquent and really wise and relevant and woke but never or rarely talks about 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. Jesus doesn't need us to defend him, to make his church look relevant, to make him look better, or to make him look more appealing, to make us more relevant to our culture or our politics. Jesus' life is not an obstacle to anyone coming to him. Actually, what I find is that most people like Jesus as a person. I haven't yet met anyone that's sane who has said that Jesus is a bad guy. All sane people that I've met think Jesus is a good person. They like what Jesus taught loving people, taking care of the most vulnerable, looking out for the least of these. People aren't offended at the person of Jesus or even the teachings of Jesus. So what are they offended by? They're offended at the cross of Jesus. That Jesus on the cross came to take away our sins. And so it starts looking at people's sins. Anyone can look at the example of Jesus' life and the teachings of Jesus while dodging this sin. And it happens all the time as people kind of cherry-pick what they want to see and what they want to hear about Jesus, but you bring the cross into that conversation and things just get really, really uncomfortable. It's not just about feeding the hungry anymore. It gets a lot more personal. It gets a lot more vulnerable because then a person needs to admit how terrible a place they truly are in if God himself had to come down from heaven to save them. People don't want to talk about the cross. They can talk about Jesus all day. They can talk about the teachings all day. They just don't want to talk about the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block. To Jews and folly to Gentiles. It's really easy to talk about Jesus without the cross. We can talk about how Jesus loved the poor all day. You can talk about that all day right here in the Bay Area, and people will love it. We can talk about how Jesus taught us by example. And that's why we feed the homeless every Sunday. And we go to numerous homeless encampments throughout the week during this pandemic. It is so easy to talk about this stuff in the Bay Area because people love what we do with the homeless community. They just swallow it all up, they love it. But throw the cross in there and see what happens. Things change, they change drastically. They start accusing you of different things, of proselytizing or doing whatever else. And like, why can't you just feed people? And you'd think that you called their mother something bad on Mother's Day or something like that. See, people start getting offended when we talk about the cross. Preaching messages about Jesus Christ without the cross is Powerless. Those powerless messages equate sin with just simply feeling bad. And so then it becomes no difference between hearing some motivational speech from some self-help teacher or going to one of those church services that just tries to lift people up and lift their self-confidence issues up because they're just feeling bad for themselves, where their gospel message is how to feel good about yourself, and, you know, that stuff actually sells because people like to feel good about themselves especially when it's easy it's easy to do this but the gospel is not easy the gospel is really simple but it's not easy you know this like have you ever met a really really great mother Not a self proclaimed one, but one where everyone says they're a great mother and you recognize that they're a great mother because saying you're a great mother is just really easy. But when you encounter one, I think you should encourage them to have more children since it's so easy. It's not easy. Really simple, though. Not all that complicated but really hard, very challenging, very time-intensive, takes a ton of effort. See, when we take communion, it's really simple. It's bread and fruit of the vine. But it sure isn't easy. because you take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26? It reads, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes so simple to eat the bread and drink the cup but it's not easy when we include proclaiming the lord's death until he comes we have in jesus christ the savior who saves us from our sins and this savior jesus who died for us to take away our sins didn't do that passively in that he just died and then that was it that he resurrected From the dead, taking our sins upon himself and his indirect active opposition against sin. 1 John chapter 3 verse 5 again. I know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. Only one is sinless and can take away sin. How can a sinner take away sin when the sin is in the sinner? We, we have pictures of this in the Old Testament when speaking of a lamb without blemish for, for the sacrifice of their sins. And you notice that, and in him there is no sin, that that's in the present tense. It's not just the pre incarnate Jesus who is sinless, it's not the Jesus incarnate who is sinless or the resurrected Jesus who is sinless. It's the eternal nature of Jesus that is without sin. Now take a look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Jesus came to take away sin according to verse 5. And so the question for you this morning, has he done that for you? How do you know if Jesus has done that for you? And it's found in verse 6. You know Jesus has taken away your sins based on what's happening with you right now. Not because you take communion, not because you give of tithes and offerings, or you fill out a Connect card, or you participate in home groups, or or some other religious activity. It's not something that was done in the past, that you, you said the sinner's prayer when you were a teenager, or I was baptized as a baby, or whatever else you did in your religious past. John is saying, what about today? What about right now? What relationship with God you claim from the past, that's, that's past. What is your relationship with God today, right now? The current person that you are now exposes whether you are really in Christ. Whoever you normally are shows if you belong to Christ or, or whether you are still under the power of the evil one. The one who keeps on sinning has neither seen Jesus or knows Jesus. Verse 6. Jesus, sinless Jesus, appeared to take away sins. That's the biblical fact from verse 5. Since Jesus came to take away sins, how can anyone take pleasure in sin while living in Christ? You can't. That's that's unreasonable. One cannot say that they are in Christ while they're constantly taking pleasure in their sin. That's illogical. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is not about being religious. Because the scribes and the Pharisees were as religiously righteous as one can get. It's, this is about holiness. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone. And, and so the striving is carrying over for this, strive for the holiness without which no one will ever, will, will see the Lord. Righteous and holy living, not out of our own uncleanness and our so-called righteous deeds. Turn to Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. We have all become like one who is unclean and All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We are not righteous and holy people without Christ. So our deeds aren't righteous or holy. It is only righteous and holy when our deeds are done with Christ in us. His righteousness has been imputed on us through Jesus' atoning death on the cross. We receive the justification by faith. We're not saved through our own holiness, but our holiness is evidence to the world as to who we belong to. We live a righteous life because we belong to Jesus. We live a radically different life empowered by the Holy Spirit. We aren't made righteous with, without actually being righteous cultivating a sinful life, and communion with a sinless Savior, those are things that are at serious odds with each other. Those are contradictory. Those are impossible. Something the church and the people in the church are afraid of, especially in our Bay Area culture, is how to deal with people and their sin. We really want so much to praise and affirm and to accept people in their sin that we don't share with them the holy scriptures that address their sin so that they can actually be cleansed of it. How are we who claim to be Christians, how are we living? Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Are we living for ourselves, or are we living for Jesus, who died and resurrected for us? Do we realize, do we really realize, 1 John chapter 3, verse 6, and what it tells us? No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And this is such a spiritually challenging verse. Now John isn't saying that true Christians never sin. We do. We fall. The difference is that we don't make a habit of it. We don't make a habit of falling. Just like when you're riding a bike or you're running or something, you don't make a habit of falling. You want to stay on it. We don't keep on sinning. Take a look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So John is saying we we sin, but it's, but it's uncharacteristic of who we are. And so if we say we don't sin, we're deceiving ourselves, we're, we're lying to ourselves. Sin for the born-again believer is an uncommon occurrence. It's unusual. There's, there's not the practice of sin. We are fully capable of sin. But John is writing this letter to us to exhort us not to sin, to stop sinning. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So, we are capable of sinning, but John is encouraging us towards righteousness, towards holiness. First John chapter 3 verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. John isn't saying we're going to be perfect. Otherwise, he wouldn't have written the verses we 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 just read in First and Second John, and there's this danger in expecting perfection from people, to where we become legalistic and judgmental, and not who Jesus wants us to be. Because you find that He is really, really harsh towards the Pharisees and the scribes who are really good at kind of this outward image. But then the polar opposite of that is not what Jesus wants e- either. He doesn't want this just full-on sin in your life. Just continue on with whatever it is. And he also doesn't want this indifference to what the Bible clearly states is sin. And just kind of accept it. Your spirit and your body together. And that can't be separated. I think many people justify their sin because they separate what they do with their body from their spirit. Which actually can't be done. You're one being. It's all together. And this has been a thought throughout human history, not just today, that you you can't be righteous spiritually if you're not practicing righteousness physically, practically. John is telling us not to let anyone deceive you. Don't let anyone fool you into thinking that just because people think one is righteous, that that is when they're Practices are not righteous. He says in verse 7, whoever practices righteousness is righteous, just as Jesus is righteous. William Law, a wonderful author, he wrote uh, a serious call to a uh, devout and holy life. It has been a required reading for our interns here. And there's this quote. He, therefore, is a devout man who lives no longer to his own will or the way and spirit of the world, but to the sole will of God who considers God in everything, who serves God in everything, who makes all the parts of his common life parts of piety by doing everything in the name of God. You see that doing is the test of being. The spirit and the physical part of us together. That's our being. And we can talk all we want, but if we don't do with our being, then it calls into question the profession that we make as Christians. And of course, we won't be perfect. We are going to sin as Christians once in a while. It's uncommon. Once in a while. We'll get called out by what we said, by what we did, by what we thought. But we don't make a practice of sinning. We don't keep on sinning. 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. When we sin, what do we then do? Apologize to whom you sinned against whether that is the Lord or to another person and we have to be sensitive to the word and the spirit that is working in us that convicts us of our sin in order to be like Jesus we, we won't change if we're on the fence about sin if we if we just blur the lines of what sin is who are you when you're by yourself you know with this shelter in place I know that I'm not alone in this. I, I've been able to be by myself a lot more and to think about who I am. And to be quite frank, it, it just it's pretty ugly. I've learned a lot about myself. And I'm realizing more and more how much I need Jesus and his cross. And so during this time, may we use this time to continue learning and growing with each other, that this shelter-in-place time is a really challenging time for some people, but it can also be an awesome time of growth, an awesome time of learning for everyone, to absorb what the Word of God in 1 John has for us, to really be ready, To ready ourselves for the return of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We confess that we are sinful. We also confess Lord. That you had the perfect plan in sending your son. To take away that sin from us. I ask, Lord, for forgiveness from the many times that our church has shied away from the message of the cross. That if at any time we focused on something else, whether that is our services to the community or even community itself, Lord, may we hold the banner high of Jesus Christ crucified. May we not shy away from the mission as to why you came. Lord, I ask for your empowerment and your equipping of your church to be bold to save the world. We know you are the answer. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to get your elements for communion so if you do need to press pause as you're kind of working this new routine into uh, this virtual Sunday service that's fine Um, but we take this bread and we take this fruit of the vine together often in remembrance of what Jesus Christ did for us that he had a broken body on that cross to take away our sins the sins that we had he took upon himself and so let us remember that and take as much time as you need to reflect upon that and when you're ready let's take this together Jesus' body was broken for us. His blood was spilled for us. And so we take this fruit of the vine as a remembrance of that spilled blood for our sins. And so let's take this together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. Your sovereign plan, we, we know that you are in control of all that is happening. We pray, Lord, that we would have the courage to be the church you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.